Good afternoon and welcome to your weekly edition of Navara FM, brought to you by Navara Media and broadcast on the incomparable Resonance FM. I'm Michael Walker at Michael J S Walker on Twitter. Last Sunday, images of police violence were broadcast across Europe as Spanish authorities sought to prevent a referendum for Catalan independence taking place. Police charged schools being used as polling stations, and baton charges and rubber bullets left almost 900 people injured. Despite this crackdown, 2.2 million Catalans voted in the referendum. 92% of them voting for Catalonia to become an independent republic separate from Spain. The Spanish state are, of course, declaring the results irrelevant in what they deem an election that contravened the rule of law. Later in the show, I'll speak with Javier Moreno Zacarés to discuss the repercussions of the Catalan referendum for politics throughout Spain. First, to take a deep dive into the background of the Catalan independence movement, the events of the weekend, and what next for the politics of Catalonia. I spoke with Carlos Del Clos, a journalist and sociologist based in Barcelona. Carlos is an editor at Raw Magazine, author of the book Hope Is a Promise: From the Indignados to the Rise of Podemos, and has written commentary for Jacobin, the New York Times, and of course, Navarra Media. So, Carlos, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So, I want to start by asking for a broad historical outline of the movement for Catalan independence. Where did the movement begin? What are the more recent developments that brought us to the dramatic events of last weekend? Well, the movement for Catalan independence. I mean. You know, it, there's it can trace its roots back all the way to like 1714 if we if we kind of get into sort of the founding myths that are that are guiding its uh, its current incarnation. But I guess the more modern version. I mean, independentist uh, Catalan independence kind of strains have have long been a part of of modern Spain, um, of modern of modern Spanish politics and modern Catalan politics. Um, the Republican left party in in Catalonia was was a large Uh, you know, it was, a, was a, a major force, uh, you know, during the Spanish, uh, the second Spanish Republic. Um, and it was, it's, it's long been a component of, of Spain's current territorial uh, incarnation. Um, I guess the modern version of it, if you ask someone like uh, someone from the coup parties, the, the popular unity candidacies, uh, libertarian kind of municipalist uh, platforms that have Uh, that have you know been a very interesting force in Catalan politics for the last several years. I'm sure they would tell you that you know the roots of the of the radical independentist left or radical left independence movement uh, can be traced back even to the '60s. Um, but I guess in the sense that everybody's talking about now, this current uh, wave of of pro independence uh, mobilization, I think it can be traced back to its roots can be traced back to 2006. Uh, in 2006, um, these then socialist uh, or the you know the then president uh, Zapatero of the Spanish Socialist Party um, was you know he he approved his government approved a um, an agreement on Catalan you know autonomy a statute of autonomy that had been approved by the Catalan Parliament and the Spanish uh, Parliament that would uh, go into effect within a few years and grant Catalonia certain, uh, you know, certain degrees of sovereignty more than it had uh, pre prior to that government. Um, so this, this existed and this agreement existed, but in 2010, the Partido Popular, Mariano Rajoy's party, uh, the, you know, the right-wing party currently governing Spain, uh, they've never, you know, cared much for Uh, you know, decentralization of the Spanish government. They very much cling to a, a kind of hardline Spanish identity. 
Um, they're not the type of conservative that you might have in the U.S. that is like, uh, you know, very skeptical towards centralization, right? They're, they're actually very much in, in favor of centralization and would do away if they could with the, um, with the different, you know, autonomous communities, basically. Um, so they took the agreement that the Catalan parliament had uh, reached with, uh, with Zapatero um, and they took it to court. And in 2010, July of 2010, the agreement was struck down by the Spanish Constitutional Court, which caused a great deal of outrage among the, uh, the Catalan population. Uh, so we saw large mobilizations then, really massive mobilizations, uh, that began to, you know, you know, toy with or even call for explicitly the idea of, of independence. And at the same time, you know, the, this COOP platform that I've been talking about earlier, they started to organize these popular consultations um, which was, you know, just in some extent, to some extent, kind of, you know, banned a little bit in uh, in Spain, uh, and they started to organize these in these small municipalities of Catalonia, where where they had a, a strong presence, um, and and so that was that was kind of like the seeds of the of the situation that we have now, um, but at that time, you know, polls did not have support for Catalan independence. Uh, much higher than than uh, than twenty percent. Uh, actually, in two thousand and six, the Catalan National Statistics Office had pro-independent support at about you know twelve percent or so. Um, as time went on, though, uh, it was slowly and slowly rising. Uh, by the time the 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 uh, statute was struck down in 2010. It was over 20%. It was around 25%. And this is when the coop starts, you know, organizing their their consultations. Um, and then there's a key moment, which is November of 2011, when Mariano Rajoy's government wins the general elections um, in Spain. And this, after the 15M mobilizations, the Indignados mobilizations. Um, you know, against austerity, they, you know, the the support for the two major parties in Spain just started to decline, and and it declined also in in Catalonia, where the movement was particularly radical and particularly, um, you know, audacious. Um, after Mariano Rajoy wins, support for independence suddenly goes from about twenty nine percent support to over forty percent. Um, by the end of, uh, of 2013. And there's a key moment here where it really spikes, which is in July of 2012, when Artur Mas, the Catalan president at the time of, uh, and a member of the Convergencia Union, a coalition party of you know, Christian Democrats, right-wing Christian Democrats, and uh, sort of, you know, uh, yeah, just right-wing nationalist, uh, Catalan nationalist uh, you know, groups, they, he goes to Madrid with, uh, with a new fiscal pact that he proposes to Mariano Rajoy. And Mariano Rajoy, I guess, essentially, you know, laughs him out of the room, says, you know, I'm not even going to listen. And this was so, uh, you know, so blatant. Uh, it was so clear a rejection after Catalonia had exhausted all of the available channels um, that there was a serious, uh, there was a serious rejection of, of, of this move in Catalonia. And that's when you start to see you know, uh, support for independence top 40%. Um, it's also important to take in mind here that another factor is that as soon as that happens, um, you know, Artur Mas's party, uh, 
who had been working with Mariano Rajoy's party in Catalonia to pass austerity measures, you know, suddenly they break with with their right wing partners in the Partido Popular and start to you know wave the flag and give support to a growing to the growing independence movement that was already kind of lurking. Um, you know, beneath the surface uh, at, at all this, uh, you know, during all this time. So, so basically they break their very damaging, uh, you know, agreement with Partido Popular to pass austerity, and they start to, uh, you know, kind of bear hug the Catalan independence movement, left-wing uh, Catalan independence parties like the CUP and the progressive sort of Esquerra Republicana uh, party, and they really start to, uh, to be a major force in, in Catalonia that, that culminates uh, at that time, or that really makes itself known, takes the stage on September 11th of 2012. And what, so on September 11th, 2012, is that when we see the huge street mobilizations? That was the first time that you see uh, a, you know, one million people yeah. taking the streets of, uh, of Barcelona uh, from all regions of Catalonia, they came to Barcelona on the Catalan national holiday, so they had a little bit of an assist from the calendar. But uh, you see a million people take the streets uh, under the slogan, uh, Catalonia, a new European state. Oh, wow. So that's that's very explicit at that point that this is an independence movement demanding something more than autonomy. Absolutely. Absolutely. At that point, it is an independence movement. Um, the, end of, the prior mobilizations were also very much uh, pro-independence, but they didn't have this kind of this kind of pull. Uh, but it's but it's after that happens after the p- fiscal pact is rejected that you see this spike in support. Um, there were some discourses uh, floating around as well that that uh, you know single issue parties such as Solidaridad that um, uh, would 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 use they they use a discourse that was very against Spain. They would say Spain robs us, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know we pay more taxes to Spain, et cetera, et cetera. Which you know in, in, in a situation of austerity was. Uh, you know, I mean, that can that can cultivate some support. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, uh, one of the partners of Convergencia Union, which was actually the le- least independentist uh, section, but they they would include in their campaigns this idea that, um, you know, the the subsidized Spain, this mm-hmm. was a campaign poster, the subsidized Spain uh, lives uh on account of the productive Catalonia, right? So there was there was this element there too um, that was very much adding to to this demand, right? Uh, and that was very much uh, capitalized upon by this Convergencia Unio party, uh, which by the time they take the streets on September 11th of t- 2012, they've you know softened their message considerably to talk about you know. Uh, you know, Ithaca, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, the, the the term Ithaca comes from a, a Yuiz Yach song, a great Catalan singer songwriter, um, uh, where he proposes this horizon, this emancipatory horizon that's Ithaca, which you know most people would interpret to mean a free Catalonia. So they start to soften their image a lot with this kind of thing. So I'm, I want to bring us on to the social forces and the arguments for independence in a moment. First of all, I want to sure. just take us on the timeline from from this point now. So we're in. 2012 to now so in between we have one other referendum right there's a referendum in 2014 that's right yeah we have the well they called it at the time a participatory process or they called it a consultation and they called it lots of different things but they did uh hold on the 9th of november of of 2014 they did hold a uh, a vote that was um you know that had uh a lot of institutional support from catalonia uh, and which got about a 37% turnout, uh, the vast majority of which was in favor of independence. Mm-hmm. 
and that was so that was less confrontational at that point because the constitutional court had said it was not binding this referendum but the catalan right. authorities went ahead and said fine 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 it's not a referendum it's just a consultation so, Precisely. so it yeah. was tolerated by the police but not recognized by the the authorities in spain Exactly. It's just kind of like a suggestion, like a survey question. I mean, that was one of the things that, you know, the more, uh, you know, uh, dismissive uh, people in, in Spain would just say, oh, that survey. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so this one, so the reason this referendum that we just saw last weekend was so controversial for the Spanish authorities was that this was painted as a referendum that could be the basis for declaring independence from Spain. That's correct. I mean, the, the idea is that at this point, the Catalan government has, they decided to make it binding. They said, mm -hmm. whatever we will, you know, if, if the yes vote wins, we will declare independence within 48 hours. And this was, so this also wasn't, they pitched the 2015 regional elections also was some sort of referendum, right? So that was supposed to be that's right. Yeah. The thing is that this vote has taken many different permutations yeah. over time. Right. Uh, so after the 2014 consultation, they did this thing where they said, OK, we're going to make this, you know, that was if you recall, 2015 was the time of like platform parties in Spain. Mm -hmm. Right. So there was uh, Barcelona and Comú in the municipal elections, which is like a right, an upstart party that kind of joins different smaller actors together with a bunch of independents. Uh, and they create this, you know, this boom or Podemos itself was something quite similar. Um, uh, and so what, what very uh, astutely, what they do very astutely, the, the Catalan independence movement at the time, is they, they create this thing called, called Junts pel Si, right? Together mm -hmm. for Yes. And it just joins uh, the Convergence Party and the Republican Left parties together uh, on a single ticket that incorporates people from the national, uh, Catalan National Assembly and, uh, you know, different other you know, organizations, uh, that singer that I mentioned earlier, Yves Yak, it becomes a candidate, uh, and so on. And so they present a ticket and they say, okay, if we get, you know, if we get the majority, um, we will, we will declare independence. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and they did not, they, well, they didn't in the popular vote, they got 48% of the vote, uh, between them and Coop who went on their own, uh, because they like to stay nice and autonomous <laughs> and, um, and gain a great degree of political centrality in that way. And so between the two of them, they were able to form a government. Uh, and instead of declaring independence or whatever, what they've done is uh, work towards the point that we're at now. Yeah. So it's, it's again, we, we're seeing more and more plebiscites on Catalonian independence that give a sort of ambiguous result, right? So they said two, 2015 would be a referendum on it. They don't quite get 50%, but they form a parliamentary majority, which... You know, that's very ambiguous who's got the legitimacy there to, to make what's that's right. That's right. And so then, so now, so one of the things that they like to do is like, well, during the campaign, they'll say that, you know, clearly Catalunya sí que spot, which was Podemos's kind of, uh, you know, coalition at the time, you know, they're like, wow, they're not in favor of independence. And, you know, they don't really want all of this, uh, even though the others, you know, insisted, you know, the, the Podemos and that they exist, insisted, well, we're in favor of a referendum, right? But we're not. We're not necessarily pro independence. We have lots of different positions, and the others say no, 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 no. And uh, you should vote for us if you like independence. And then when they win and they don't get more than fifty percent, suddenly their argument now is, well, there's some people in Palamos that are in favor of independence, mm -hmm. and blah 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 blah. So, um, so they, you know, there's this kind of weird middle ground where we don't actually know who supports independence or, or what percentage of the population of the voting population supports. Uh, independence in Catalonia, and this sort of confusion uh, generates, 
you know, a great deal of conflict. Mm -hmm. I want to focus a bit on Le Coupe, because Le Coupe, sure. they are the, the anti-capitalists in favor of independence, the, the radical independentists. Mm -hmm. What is their, what's their argument for why Catalan independence should be a priority? What's, what's well, their program? Sure. So you should you should consider Coop begins uh, as a you know very much a Murray Bookchinite libertarian municipalist project. It was before uh, September of uh, of sorry uh, November of two thousand and twelve when the Catalan elections, the first Catalan elections after the independence movement kind of took the stage. With the first time those took place. Before then, they had never presented themselves at the level of. Uh, the Catalan region, right, or the Catalan uh, territory, they had worked primarily or exclusively, sorry, at the municipal level. Mm -hmm. And their whole thing was, you know, we should, we're a municipalist party. We, you know, we work with a radical program to, you know, have very, very participatory city, city governments. Um, and it was really cool. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's a lot, it's quite similar to a, uh, to what, you know, Murray Bookchin kind of proposed and it's it's the radical left so they're you know in a lot of in their imaginary there's a lot of Palestine and there's a lot of Kurdistan and there's a lot of right uh, mm -hmm. uh, stateless nations in, in, in struggle and, uh, and are they winning and, and, power in you know, small towns and villages in, in Catalonia I'm sorry what are they winning municipal power in small towns and villages across Catalonia locally? that's right that's right yeah they kept winning more and more and you know and after the first elections after 15m they saw a huge surge in, in support for them for instance so they, you know and, and the coup is a it's an organization that is very very comfortable in the social movements uh, they do bring different neighborhood platforms together and, and in their in the municipalities where they governed you know uh, the social movements had a very very prominent role in you know in the governance of of, of the region that regions that they would win. Mm -hmm. So what happens is that the scenario, the political scenario opened up by the uh, pro-independence mobilization of September 11, 2012, is uh, one where suddenly uh, Coop, you know, sees itself with this, this choice to make. They say, oh, wow, you know, we have this situation. Our voice isn't in the Catalan parliament. So they, they have an assembly because they like assemblies a lot. And uh, and they decide that they're going to make the jump uh, to the national for them level, right? Um, so oh, so they do, and they propose a list of candidates that are very interesting. Uh, at the time, it was you know people like David Fernandez or Kimar Rufat who became very who are very very um, you know prominent members of social movements in in Barcelona. They they and and in other places of in other municipalities, they become you know these. These very interesting forces in Catalan politics, uh, and with their three, they win three seats in the parliament, and suddenly, um, you know, they they really do a lot better than people expect, and uh, and they start to you know make a name for themselves with an unabashedly uh, radical left uh, political style. Mm. And then, what year is this? This is in 2012. This is in 2012. So then, in 2015, this is when they have the real electoral breakthrough, and they get 10 percent, right? That's right. That's right. Uh, then, well, they get yeah, exactly. They get ten seats at mm -hmm. the in the parliament. And um, is their platform with relation to Catalan independence basically just that there's more opportunity to completely transform politics with independence from the Spanish state, as opposed well, to being grounded in they, a cultural ideology of of Catalonia, sorry, sorry. as opposed to being motivated by a sort of cultural nationalism about Catalonia. It's just is it an opportunistic thing that if we break from the state, then we can have a greater chance of implementing a different kind of politics? Well, I would say that their official line is that they, 
you know, they, they started as a municipalist movement, so they believe in local power, right? Um, they're against uh, borders and they're against immigration uh, detention and, and um, they're, you know, they're basically against all of the uh, oppressive institutions of, of uh, neoliberalism, global capitalism, and so on. Um, and their whole argument is, is very much an anti-globalization argument, you know. Uh, it's a very much in a, in a Zapatista vein. They, they believe in bottom-up politics. And to do that, you need to get rid of, um, you know, these, these overarching powers like, like the state um, or like the, you know, a supranational state and so on. And so, you know, I would, I would I, you know, I'm not a coup member myself, nor am I, have I ever really been a militant of the radical independentist left. Uh, radical left independence movement, but they have this, uh, from what I see, they have a discourse where it's very much about local power, uh, popular sovereignty, popular power, um, you know, taking control of the institutions that are closest to you because those are the ones that, you know, where you actually know what you're talking about Mm -hmm. and can have your say, and it's less, a less abstract version of, of power. Um, now that's what the parties say and that's how they practice it. And that's what they do. But, you know, um, whether or not there's nationalistic sentiment underlying it and all of this, I mean, that's, it's so subjective that it's very, very difficult to, um, to pinpoint. They do, um, you know, they do have a very radical stance and at times that does appeal to a base that is, uh, you know, nationalist, but, um, but, you know, there's other parties you can vote for if you're just nationalist, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And also there's other parties you can vote for if you're a radical leftist, right? There's, it's independent, independentism, is that, if that's a word. Or right. separatism is by no means hegemonic on the, the Catalan left. So Barcelona right, right. in Comú, exactly right. Catalonia that's in exactly Comú. Right. What's, what, what's the position of, of, of other leftists in Catalan? So most people in Britain will have heard of Barcelona in Comú at a Calaus platform. How do they relate to this movement? Well, Barcelona and Comú, um, you know, they when they take the stage, they they run on the idea of municipalism, right? Um, very much. Uh, well, even texts that I wrote and um, or Kate Shea Baird, who's involved in the organization, have talked about, um, you know, the degree to which much of their discourse is very similar to some of the things that uh, Murray Bookchin talked about in uh, The Rise of Urbanization and the Decline of Citizenship when he lays out his new municipal uh, agenda. Um, So a lot of the discourse comes from all of that. Um, And they have a different take because one of their calling cards is, aside from the fact that they are unabashedly, um, you know, against neoliberalism mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, against global capitalism, uh, they do frame themselves in a much more open way and a much more transversal way where Catalan independence uh, is not intended to be a wedge issue. It's something that you can kind of um, integrate into a broader set of principles uh, that, you know, that they're providing a, a sort of master frame for, right? Uh, so Catalan independence for a lot of them is kind of, you know, it's something that may not necessarily be the priority, but the priority is democracy, right? The priority is sovereignty. The priority is self-determination. And so they're in favor of a referendum, but they don't have a, a clear position on it. Whereas Coop, uh does have a clear position on independence. Uh, and that leads them to make a lot more radical decisions in favor of it. And within Barcelona and Comun, presumably there'd be some people who would vote yes, and some people that would vote no. Were there are referendum. certainly people that vote that would vote yes. Uh, Jean Massens, for instance, uh, one of the main uh, one of the leaders of, of 
Bar- Barcelona in Comú is uh, has stated many times that he's uh, he's in favor of of independence. Great, and the, and the more mainstream movement for independence, so the the centre left party and the centre right party. What kind of arguments are they making? Is it is it generally an economic thing that they can be richer outside of Spain? Well, that's kind of one of the problems with this process uh, is that over time it's changed frame so many times. And right now we're in this place where we're debating about whether or not it's democratic or not Mm. to hold a referendum that the debate on whether or not it makes sense to be independent is actually kind of absent. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I mean, it's present in think pieces and some, and, you know, and opinion columns and all this kind of stuff, but there hasn't really been a very deep, you know, public debate about what the implications are of independence. And I mean, part of this is because there hasn't been a legal binding referendum that would obligate that you know you to have a campaign right mm. for the yes or for the no and different positions debating and all this kind of stuff. Uh, at the beginning, there were some some of these debates, but that, that eventually you know through the obstinacy of the Partido Popular government in Madrid, um, this eventually became more and more about well, can you even vote? Than about whether or not it makes any sense. Yeah, I mean, especially with the images of of last Sunday, I think the immediacy of the situation will prompt most people to say, I don't really care whether or not Catalonia is independent. Well, obviously some people do, but even if you don't, you see people being beat up by the police when they're trying to vote and you sort of know where you stand on that question. I think That's right. I mean, beating the snot out of people that are lining up to vote uh, and cracking open old, old ladies' heads and tear gassing people at the ballot boxes is not a really... Uh, you know, you can have the economic outcome that you like, but that doesn't really make a very good argument mm-hmm. for, you know, you should stay with us. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. No one's in favor of beating up old people voting because there might be a problem with the currency in Catalonia. Right, right. right. Uh, well, apparently the central government is, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the king. We'll move on to yeah, that. Yeah, and the it. king. The king seems to, you know, be fine. In a moment. Now, now's a good time probably for you to talk me through the events of Sunday. So you were in Barcelona. Sure. What, what happened? Well, I mean, okay, so the events on Sunday, this isn't to downplay it at all, but um, the events on Sunday were very interesting in Barcelona um, from a lot of different angles. So, I mean, the main story, uh, I, I, I wrote about it recently in, a, in an article. Uh, you know, the main story is that the attempt to hold the referendum was was very heavily repressed uh, with a great deal of escalation in the weeks leading up to it um, with, you know, Mariano Rajoy's government sending uh, the Guardia Civil, which is the military police, um, you know, to just by the thousands to to, you know, prevent people from voting, to scare people away from voting um, in this uh, in this referendum or, or in this uh, action, um, you know, through the use of force. And so what we saw was, you know, women being thrown downstairs, mm-hmm. uh, peaceful protesters being hit, uh, you know, bloody ballots you know, provoked by, by, uh, by the Spanish government in, in response to this. Now, they cite the statistic where they say, like, you know, out of all the voting sites, violence only took place at less than 1%. But, you know, it, it kind of doesn't matter because it took place, mm. right? And um, and it's a really strange kind of position because it it's so clearly uh, repressive that you wouldn't really know what the what the political utility is of it, right? I mean, if it was just an illegal vote, 
which it was, by the way. I mean, it, well, illegal. It was, it was, it was prohibited. Certainly, it was not. It was unconstitutional, according to the Spanish Constitution. It was unconstitutional, but then also, even according to Catalan laws, um, a, a month, nearly a month before the referendum, the the Catalan Parliament violated its own laws in the procedure that it followed to make the result of the referendum binding. And it was, it was a, it was a, uh, you know, a really sad display. Uh, to see them bypassing the opposition, not giving this sort of guarantees uh, to the opposition that you would expect in a normal functioning parliamentary democracy. Um, and so they had kind of, after that, delegitimized themselves. So if you were Mariano Rajoy and this vote was taking place, I don't understand why you wouldn't just say, well, mm, uh, I, I'm just going to leave it here because mm. this is going to just, you know, uh, this is going to wrest legitimacy away from this vote anyway. Uh, and then on the day after, well, then, you know, I'll just not recognize the result and take legal action against the politicians themselves or something like that. Right. But instead of doing that, he decides to beat up old ladies, which is which is insane. Mm. And um, I mean, the, the scale of this is huge, right? There's 16,000 Guardia Civil, 900 people injured. This is a really. Yeah. I mean, he injured 900 people yeah. that were merely trying to vote. Yeah. And, and the TV screens full of riot cops ripping away plastic boxes from from people trying to vote it, it all just looked terrible i mean what what do you think he was thinking well I'll, I'll i'll tell you what he was thinking i'm going to point to a very weird you know bit of data uh in barcelona the police interventions the violent police interventions there were some neighborhoods where they did not occur they didn't occur in the sans neighborhood they didn't occur in Gracia, really. They didn't occur in um, in Ciudad Vella. They didn't occur in Pobla Sec. What do these neighborhoods have in common? Well, these neighbors, neighborhoods have in common that they have a very large squatter presence, a very large uh, anti-systemic movement uh, presence. Uh, you know, if they had tried to intervene, they would have been doing this for several days because the last time they tried to evict a squat in Sanz, for instance, they had five days of rioting. Um, they didn't want that. What they wanted to do was go to places like Barceloneta. They wanted to go to places like uh, Echample Dreta neighborhoods um, where the people that are going are not the people that tend to mobilize. They're the people that are going that aren't used to seeing riot cops, et cetera, et cetera. And so they do this and they scare them. They scare the senses out of them. Um, so that was one part is to really, you know, uh, send this message that, you know, this is really bad and all this kind of stuff um, and maybe scare them away. Um, scare people in the area away from voting, right? Uh, basically, he's cutting his losses in places where it's going to happen and that it's going to be really bad and it can get out of control. Because he's trying to suppress uh, turnout, basically, right? Because the, the lower the turnout, the less legitimacy the referendum is seen to have. Well, I think more than repressing turnout, I mean, because this strategy increased it. I mean, yeah. You know, um, uh, but one of the, I think more it was to kind of um, disrupt uh, a process that already didn't really have very much in the way of guarantees. Uh, I mean, they hacked their databases and all this, you know, their census and all this kind of stuff and, and did anything they could to make the result like impossible to claim its legitimacy because it was so disrupted. Um, so that's one thing. But then the main thing that I think his, uh, what was the rationale is, you know, Partido Popular is not a major player in Catalan politics uh, in the Catalan parliament. Uh, they have some municipalities uh, like, well, they used to have Badalona and all this kind of stuff. But um, 
but they, you know, if you want to vote right wing in Catalonia, you have comp- they have competition, uh, and there's a certain hegemony uh, on the part of the nationalist right wing move uh, mm-hmm. parties. Uh, so they're a smaller player in Catalonia, and Rajoy is never going to win a Spanish general election because of the results in Catalonia. Um, what he is going to do is use Catalonia as a whipping boy to sort of uh, you know fight for the center left socialist parties. Um, hardline unionist base, uh, take maybe, you know, five to 10% of the population that might vote for them for the, you know, in favor of the unity or for, for whom five, six percent of the population that votes for the socialists for whom the unity of Spain is this big deal. And so they'll force Soa into competition, uh, with them. So it, you know, using Catalonia as a whipping boy, they can kind of drum up support for themselves everywhere else and just cut their losses in places like the Basque region in Catalonia, and uh, places where they just have never been mm. uh, popular anyway. So I, I want to f- hone in a bit more on sort of like the risk that that might be playing on a national level. For now, I want to stick with Catalonia on, on that day, on Sunday and the days following. So there's, sure. been, there's been a huge crackdown by the police. Presumably there's... Is, are people in Catalonia quite united in their condemnation of, of the actions of the Spanish state or is, of these actions themselves divided people? Um, I would, I mean, that remains to be known. I haven't seen any decent polls, but I'll tell you that 82% of Catalans are in favor of a referendum, mm-hmm. uh, if it's legally binding. And I'm pretty sure that no one, uh, that, that a very small proportion of the population was actually in favor of what they saw that day. Yeah, there's, um, there's no one with Spanish flags out the windows saying, cheering on, cheering on the Guardia Civil as they, as they crack down on people. Well, there, there were, and we might see more on the 12th of October, which is, you know, Spain's kind of Spain day. Um, I mean, I think some of them might've been galvanized by that, but, um, but they're not a very large proportion of of the population here. Um, as I said, I mean, at max, you know, people that are against the referendum are 18%, right? Like a legal referendum. Um, so I don't think, I think there's widespread condemnation of the attacks and I should hope, you know, I mean, I'm going to stray from you know, kind of an effort to be objective here, but I, I should hope that the that the rest of Spain is scandalized by this as well. Yeah, there's in in Catalonia you've seen massive demonstrations since Sunday, right? Well, we saw a general strike on the third of October. Ah, exactly. Uh, yeah, can you talk me through the general strike? Right. So the general strike is actually kind of a, it's an interesting case. It had been called by the anarcho syndicalist uh, CGT union prior to to the first of October. Um, in anticipation of the result, basically. But it was weird because, you know, if they wanted the referendum to happen, you would think, well, why don't you call for the general strike before the referendum, right? Um, but but the idea here was kind of to, you know, kind of put pressure uh, around the result of the referendum to give more legitimacy, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, when Sunday's uh, action takes place, um, what you see is, you know, this call for, you know, it gathers the major labor unions, uh, you know, in favor of the general strike, but then they reframe it as a, as a paro de país, which is like a, like a country stoppage, right? Which is not exactly the same as a general strike because what it involves is, it's, it's a very weird composition. It's, it's like, you know, normally when you think of a strike, you think of people mobilizing against bosses, right? Mm-hmm. Their employers, uh, or the you know chamber of commerce or you know the powers that be 
But in this case, you you saw employers themselves shutting down their businesses and right yeah. uh, this this kind of thing. Where it's a very different selection of society participating in this in this work stoppage, let's say. Um, and it has different kind of like formal implications as well. So, for instance, if you shut down a center, uh, rather than you know, if you strike, then you lose a day of of pay. But if and if the company strikes, uh, then you know, uh, then they take the losses, but the the workers don't. But what they did was they did this thing where it's like, well, we're going to shut down the centers or the work centers in in large places, right? Uh, but it's up to the workers to strike. So you lose money, but they shut down, and then they, you know, show like they're in uh, in support of this whole thing. So it was a very weird kind of gray area type of thing. Mm. And you can see this ambiguity, um, kind of inherent in uh, a very interclassist kind of uh, style of mobilization, is is very very constant through this this uh, this whole process. Is is there a threat here? I mean, that's uh, we'll move on to the PP in a moment. But is there a danger here? Do you see that? the national question is generating so much cross-class collaboration that sort of like the left is is being diluted here. Well, I'll put it this way. There's a lot of people who make the argument that what this has managed to do is skew Catalan politics to the left. Uh, what they tend to cite to do this is this idea that, you know, Convergencia, the, the right-wing nationalist party that was hegemonic in Catalonia for so long, uh, that they're losing just tons and tons of votes to the Republican left, mm. like their partners, the Republican left. Um, now for me, I don't know. I mean, I think this is always kind of ambiguous. Like, I don't know if that's because the Republican left has moved to the right, that they're starting to scoop up these folks. Like, do these folks really think very differently? Um, but I can tell you what the people that during the Indignados movement, uh, when we were explicitly mobilizing against neoliberal austerity and the Troika and the IMF, you know, the IMF, all these kinds of things, um, and demanding, you know, more direct and real democracies. Uh, we were, you know, people surrounded the Catalan Parliament uh, to block a lot of the members of the parties that are now being propped up as national heroes. Uh, and and the folks that were, you know, doing that were people on the radical left, whether they were independentist or not. Mm-hmm. And the the coup people were very very much involved. Uh, in 15M, along with anarchists, along with socialists, along with communists, along with, you know, center-left type of folks. Um, you know, we were, they were all united in fighting neoliberal austerity and, and everything that that implies. Um, but now, you know, they're on two different sides of a divide. And, um, you know, there's, that's, it's hard for me to say that this has been good for the left when I see myself in, you know, involved in lots of uh, discussions uh, with with people that are on the left, but on both sides of this this different argument. Mm-hmm. I mean, presumably the right to vote has become a uh, a uniting demand. Right, right. I mean, the the demand for a referendum and to frame this as as an issue of democracy, I think has uh, has certainly united us in the demand for a referendum. Mm-hmm. And in a way, puts um, that question into the into puts off that question. In fact, right. Right, right. I mean, the question is, you know. Since we've been talking about this, um, you know, cuts have been passed, right? Um, we, we haven't been talking about the cuts for like five years at this point. And it's not like, uh, you know, redistribution is no longer a problem, right? Mm-hmm. Let's, let's move on to the, the national, well, it's controversial to say national, Spanish politics, the politics of the Spanish state. So the, the PP, 
I see what you're saying in terms of this this makes them look tough to the rest of Spain, this rallies their base. But there's quite an easy interpretation of what the PP have done, which is that this is a massive cock-up, that they have at every opportunity where there was a chance to have a solution that retained the unity of the Spanish state but gave a little bit of fiscal autonomy to Catalonia, which presumably people in Spain don't care that much about, a little bit of fiscal autonomy here here or there, a little bit of social policy devolved here. But they've taken such a hard line that it seems like there's currently no way out. And is there anyone on a national level that's trying to paint the PP as, as completely incompetent here? And do you think this will will damage them even from people who support the unity of Spain? Well, there was a vote um, proposed by the Ciudadanos party some weeks before the, uh, the referendum where, um, you know, as Mariano Rajoy is kind of escalating tensions with the by jailing Catalan, you know, or whatever, uh, summoning Catalan politicians and all this kind of stuff and starting to talk about sedition charges and so on. Um, there, you know, there's a moment where Theodos proposes this uh, non-binding uh, resolution to support Mariano Rajoy's uh, approach to this problem. Mm. And it fails because the only ones that vote for it are the Partido Popular and, um, and Ciudadanos. And everybody else votes against it. The nationalist parties, uh, the socialist party, and Podemos and their affiliates. So, so there's you know a rejection of the way he's handled it even before uh, beating up old ladies. Um, once he beats up old ladies, I mean, again, I haven't seen any polls. I, I would like to think that it's not shoring up any support, but it's all part of a political strategy that has so much escalation involved is this is this intense game of chicken where it just seems like they are trying to goad uh catalonia into crossing some kind of red line Mm -hmm. um and challenging you know they're they're forcing the the debate i mean what happened on october 1st was basically they said we will use the monopoly on legitimate use of violence uh, of the state to repress this what are you going to do about it um, and you know that's where Catalonia finds itself with its back against the wall because you know they don't want to cross that line. Um, it's clear no one here wants that. And that red line um, would be to to unilaterally declare independence. No, 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 no. The the red line I'm talking about is the use of violence. Ah, okay, right. I see. Right. I mean, we've had that before in Spain. Yep. Right. And the state, the Spanish state, is um, it thinks it's very well equipped to deal with this. Right. Um, and, and they like that because it will delegitimize, right. The, the independence movement. And, um, and they know that if they make that the only way out, then, then they basically, they basically won. Right. Okay. Yeah. I see Um, what you're saying now. So, so, so you think they're trying, so obviously you've got a parallel for another independentist movement that occurred in Spain, which was in the Basque country, um, which, uh, out of that came ETA, which was. A violent organization. Do you, do you think they're trying to create something of that scale in Catalonia here? Well, I think um, I certainly hope not. I certainly hope not. Um, I think that they are playing cards in a way uh, as to where you know it's, it's like that would be such a gift to them that if they make it the only way out, then they know that they can break the movement because Catalan people don't want that. Yep. You know, uh, I mean, no one wants that. I should, I should hope no one wants yeah. that. Um, 
So what they do is this. And then so what Catalonia, you know, devises this unilateral, well, Catalonia, no, uh, what the independence movement devises is this unilateral declaration of independence, which is its response to, to this situation, um, which, is, which is its own problem, yep. I think. And that, that's the point at which the Spanish authorities, we, we don't know if they're going to come in and arrest the democratically elected leaders in the Catalan Well, I think we do know. I think that they're itching for that to happen. I think the king's speech a couple of nights ago, um, a speech given by the the Spanish king, uh, Felipe VI, um, was very much oriented around, you know, giving a green light Mm -hmm. to uh, activating uh, Article 155 of the Spanish Constitution, uh, which would grant them power to, you know, to intervene uh, you know, Catalonia and kind of take over its, uh, its, its structures. And, um, and the message is basically, if you declare unilateral uh, independence, uh, then we're going to do this. And what do you, I suppose, what do you see as happening now? Do you, do you see there as being a way out? Where do you see Catalan politics in a year's time? I, I frankly, I have no idea which way this is going to go. It's, um, it's, it's, I'm, you know, very torn here. I, I would frankly like to see, and I mean, I'm, I'm not an objective person uh, in the <laughs> sense I try to be fair, but I'm not necessarily objective. And I, I, what I would frankly like to see is people all over, all over Catalonia and all over Spain say, look, I don't want a unilateral declaration of independence and I don't want article 155 activated. This is the line that uh, a lot of folks in Barcelona and Camus have come out with um, and uh, a lot of folks in Podemos are saying the same. And I think that, um, I just think it's what makes sense. I mean, there's so much escalation on this part. It's, it's such a game of chicken. It's such masculine posturing of just, you know, um, it, it's so aggressive that I think it's, it's really off-putting. And I think no one wants to be in this situation. Um, and I think at the same time, a unilateral declaration of independence would kind of, you know, the Catalan independence movement right now has a lot of legitimacy that it's gained by taking, uh, well, by, by Mariano Rajoy taking the moral low ground, let's say, um, that I think they would waste it by declaring independence without knowing if the majority of Catalan people want that, right? I mean, uh, yes, it's nice that uh, over 2 million people voted uh, or cast votes on on Sunday, the the first of October, but you know, I voted, and um, you know, there's there was not the traditional guarantees in that in in that process that that you would expect in a in a functioning democracy. And it's not it's not a knock on the independence movement. Uh, it was the the two million people that they drew out to the street is one of the most is probably the most spectacular act of self-organization I've ever seen. Um, And, you know, they actually organized an an election against the state, right? Think about that. Um, But that's precarious. It's very precariously set up. Um, And people, you know, 42% of the voting population, uh, or or the the number of votes cast was equivalent to 42% of the census. and there's no way that's a representative sample because 90% of folks uh, voted yes, uh, whereas we know that the distribution, uh, according to representative polls, uh, is closer to 50-50 or even 
40 against independence, right? Something like this with a large number of undecided. So, you know, I think declaring independence unilaterally would suddenly make the frame that the Catalan independence movement has used, you know, to make their mobilization more attractive, which is this idea of democracy, it would suddenly make that a lot harder to maintain. That was Carlos Del Clos joining us from Barcelona. Next, I spoke with Javier moreno Zacares to discuss how events in Catalonia are being seen from the rest of Spain. Javier is a PhD student and journalist whose writings on Spanish politics are a regular feature on the Navarra Media website. Javier, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, thank you. And I want to ask you about the reaction to the events in Catalonia in the rest of Spain. How are people seeing this from Madrid and from Valencia, from, from across the country? Right. Well, the uh, immediate response, at least from the side of the left, were very large shows of solidarity in the largest cities of the country against uh, police repression. So that seems to have been a unifying factor that has pushed a lot of people from the left that maybe were on the fence about the issue of um, Catalan self-determination. Now there's this unified cause against the, uh, the Spanish government. So you saw huge demonstrations in... Bilbao, I guess, you know, that, that was uh, to be expected, but also in Madrid and Sevilla, which I was, and Valencia as well, which I was mo- more surprised about, frankly. Then um, on the other side of the political spectrum, what you see is um, a kind of scary agitation of the far right. So there have been also uh, demonstrations outside of police stations with people wrapped up in Spanish flags and singing football chants and you know, doing sick hiles and, and stuff like that. Uh, so there, there definitely seems to be a polarization, um, you know, building up around this issue. So, yeah, that, I would say that that's the, the immediate response. And that's the polarization that presumably the PP are going to try and take advantage of, right? They're hoping to divide the rest of Spain into people who are pro yeah. the actions of, of the government in Catalonia and those who are against it or, as the PP would say, soft on it. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, completely. And I think that this also um, probably has to do with the fact that I sense that there is a general election coming. So I think that um, PP are just pursuing their, their classic strategy that they've been uh, doing for the last 10, 15 years, which is that um, it's called a scorched earth strategy in Spain, right? And uh, what that implies is that knowing that you, you can't make any gains in Catalonia anyway, you abandon any electoral strategy in the region and instead you focus on agitating your Spanish nationalist base outside of Catalonia by pandering to this um, anti-Catalan rhetoric, right? So um, the day after the, two days after the referendum, there was the general strike and uh, the spokesman for the Conservative Party in Parliament uh, referred to it as like a Nazi demonstration, I believe it were his words. And uh, he also said that the Catalan nationalist parties seem to uh, want someone to get killed or something like that. Like they're, they're not going to stop until someone gets killed. Like really um, incendiary rhetoric. And I think uh, whenever I see the, the People's Party act like that, I get this um, this sense that they're just gearing up for a general election. Mm-hmm. That, that's interesting. You think this is preparation for a general election? I mean, so something that's not reported that much in the UK is the PP are in a fairly weak position in terms of Parliament. Right? They're a minority government. They rely on the support of PSOE and citizens. 
to yeah. pass legislation. Yeah, 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 precisely. And uh, they even relied on the Basque nationalists to pass the, the budget. So could um, they be forced into a general election? Huh? Could they be forced into a general election? Is there a possibility that Pessoe withdraw their support and the Basques withdraw their support and the government falls? Yes, it's possible. But I think that um, what's even more likely is that um, the, the People's Party themselves called the general election. So the, the first day <clears throat> after the referendum, there was uh, Rajoy held a, a round of talks with what in Spain is called the, the Constitutionalist uh, Front um, which would be the, the People's Party, so himself, PSOE, the, the centre-left Socialist Party, and the Liberals of Ciudadanos, of uh, Citizens, like you said. Uh, so these parties, the, this like um, three-pronged front, would be the defenders of the constitutional order as we know it. Uh, so, the, so Rajoy held talks right away just to see where everyone stood on the events of Sunday, right? And, and his idea was that, well... If there is any weakening on this united front, then he might as well call general election now, so that he can capitalize upon the agitation that there is um, on from the you know the, the right wing side of the of the divide, right? And um, he saw that the liberals of of citizens, they I mean they were originally a Catalan unionist party, right? So they're quite militant about this, and they are pressuring Rajoy to suspend Catalan self-government right away and to double down on the repressive strategy. And um, PSOE, on the other hand, has been a bit, um, has been wavering a little bit about this issue. Uh, they've expressed uh, some sort of doubt on the, you know, on the, the police crackdown that we saw on Sunday, but, um, but they, they don't, uh, you know, they, I, I think that overall they're, they're not in support of the, the Catalan side whatsoever, right? So I think that... Oh, and also after the King's speech, Pessoa has fallen in line anyway, right? They, now they they seem to be more uh, in line with the government. So I think that Rajoy maybe for now is not um, going for a general election, but I think he's definitely uh, doing, you know, regular temperature checks to see where things are at. And I think that that, that might be in the horizon at some point. What was the significance of the King coming out very strongly in favour of the government's actions in Catalonia. I mean, we're, I'm not used to seeing uh, a royal come out and make such an active intervention in politics. Right. Well, the king, um, for the most part, has a purely symbolic, ceremonial role in Spanish politics. Um, but there is this memory of the role of the previous king, the father of Philip, Juan Carlos, who stepped in um, after the 1981 coup d'état, um, so basically what, what happened was in, that in, um, in February 1981, the civil guard, so the, the military police that we saw on the streets of Barcelona um, over the weekend, they stormed parliament and um, they, they were waiting apparently for some army divisions to revolt and uh, who knows what they wanted to do. I think they wanted to install a government um, that was more right-wing or more right-leaning. Um, and when that happened and, and Parliament was hijacked for, a, for, some, for a, a night or so, I believe it was, then the previous king gave a televised address to the nation and he said that he wasn't backing the actions of the military regarding this, right? So when, when the revolting divisions saw that reaction, they, um, 
they uh, they, they called off the coup d'état. So then this created this memory of the, the, the monarchy as the defender of democracy, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that in seeing the constitutional crisis that we're witnessing this week, probably Philip uh, the sixth, our current king, felt the need to step up and, uh, you know, and, and, and say something like his father, right? Mm-hmm. But what caught me by surprise, however, was that he was very... Um, he was very much on the side of the government. He didn't have this kind of, um, you know, call for dialogue or, or, you know, everyone chill out. He didn't say any of that, right? He was very much um, almost insisting on the need to to double down on the repressive side of things. And that definitely caught me by surprise. So I think what that, the effect of that has been that PSOE has fallen in line with, with PP um, because, you know, that, that's the kind of ideological backbone that they have. And uh, what that has also meant on the side of the Catalans has been a radicalization. You know, they, they're now yeah, feel more strongly about the need to declare independence unilaterally. Do you think many people in Spain or anyone in Spain is seeing this as a misstep by Rajoy? So not people who would normally be of the left anyway, but people who might be inclined to vote for a centrist party and who do support the unity of Spain. Do you think many people are reading this as Madrid overreaching and driving Spain towards a crisis that it doesn't really need that was unnecessary to begin with? I think so. I think that there is a sense that um, Rajoy could have played this in many different ways. And this one was definitely not uh, the most, um, um, I don't know, the the most successful one, right? Because it, it has evidently created this huge backlash in Catalan society, even from people who were not um, you know, very much in the side of the referendum to begin with. So yeah, there's definitely this sense that Rajoy could have just ignored the referendum, right? And then just uh, uh, let the, the Catalan uh, secessionist forces implode when the people realize that, you know, you can make a declaration of independence, but if you don't have any foreign power backing you, then it doesn't mean anything, right? So he could have just like let that happen. And that would have been more politically effective from his perspective, perhaps. But no, see, he he fell into the trap of the of the Catalan government, which, uh, you know, was basically trying to taunt him into uh, coming for them with a repressive uh, stance. Um, so, yeah, he, he's fallen into the trap completely. And I'm wondering if the backlash from the foreign press, you know, the CNN, um, uh, New York Times response, that has, I think, had a, a really chilling effect for the Spanish government. I don't think they were, they were expecting this at all. And Podemos, you've written about them many times for, for Navarra. Um, how are they dealing with this particular crisis? Mm. What's their position on this? Well, Podemos' stance is the same they've had for a long time, to be fair. They, they're quite consistent about this. Uh, Podemos has been the only... Um, a countrywide um, party that has defended the, uh, the you know the solution to the Catalan problem goes through a binding referendum, right? And a binding referendum that is you know well managed, and there is a, a campaign that you know makes the case uh, for remain and, and so forth. So their stance officially from Madrid, at least is that they don't want Catalonia to break away from Spain, but that they think that there has to be a referendum because it's a huge democratic demand uh, that is being articulated in, 
within Catalan politics and society. Now, Podemos in Catalonia definitely has a much more pro-independence bent, at least elements from within it. Um, but there is <clears throat> there is this opposition to unilateral declaration of independence because uh, they're, they're quite wary that the uh, um, the referendum, as it stood, lacked some democratic guarantees, right? They, they thought of it more as a protest than a, an actual binding, legitimate democratic protest process. Um, so they figures like Ada Colau, the mayor of Barcelona, are uh, you know against the unilateral declaration of independence, but they're also against the foretold suspension of Catalan self-government, which is what might come next week after um, you know the formal declaration that the Catalan Parliament is planning for Monday. So what about other parts of Spanish society? Are we seeing much noise from business, or especially the media, actually? How is this being covered? Mm. Well, the the media, the right-wing media, is very uncompromising. And by that, I don't just mean the, the proper right or far-right media. I'm, I'm talking about, like, the center-right media. Um, outlets that are um, that speak to, to more centrist right-wing voters... They um, they're not advocating for many concessions to the the Catalan side, as far as I know. Um, they don't seem to be joining to this, uh, you know, to this uh, sense that there needs to be a dialogue. Right for them, it's just a matter of law and order, and that seems to be the um, that seems to be the stance on the right. On the left or center left media. Um, they're pushing a line that is not unlike what, what Pessoa is trying to advance, which is this ambiguous call to dialogue, but without any practical solutions and quite skeptical of the the need for an actual binding uh, referendum. It's only more, well, I, I guess um, in short, what you could say is that the, the media is just reflecting the uh, the spectrum of, of opinions of the that the main political parties have put forward in the last few days, actually. But, but especially with reference to the violence that was on Sunday. So you said sort of like CNN and the New York Times and the international media is really looking at this as, as a failure of democracy and something quite shocking. Is yeah. that being reflected in the Spanish press? Uh, within the Spanish press, there is, there is general... Um, I would say actually on the left, really. There, there is a shock at the police violence. And I think that on the side of the right, they're making ex- excuses for the government and saying that, well, the, uh, the the Catalan nationalists have really worked their narrative and they've invested a lot in their own marketing and this is why the foreign media are taking their side. But I, I don't think that they're being very... Um, I haven't seen much self-criticism, to be honest. Um, not at all, actually. And to finish off, where do you see this heading? What What do you expect... Where do you expect this, this crisis to go? What do you see Spanish politics looking like in the weeks and months ahead? Well, it, it's a hard question because uh, things are evolving by the day. Um, to be honest, the last few days uh, I've been feeling quite uh, quite tense and, and almost emotional because, I, 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 frankly, I don't see this getting any better. I think that the worst is yet to come. And generally, I would say I'm quite an optimistic person um, otherwise. But I think that today... The most likely um, prospect is that on Monday there there will be a unilateral declaration of independence, whatever that means in practice, and uh, they, they will try to bait the central government into double, doubling down their their clampdown. 
and uh, and the, the hopes of, of the Catalan government will be to seal the surge in pro-independence sentiment and to create a um, social pressure that will force the Spanish government to sit down and negotiate a, a binding referendum, referendum, which by then the Catalan government will, you know, hope to win. Now, I think that this, I think that the Spanish government is going to gladly, um, you know, take the bait, basically, and, and uh, I think that they will probably suspend Catalan self-government, and that is going to look on the ground in Catalonia as a, you know, nothing short of a military occupation. What was going to be the outcome of that? I'm frankly, I'm not sure. I think, uh, I just don't know. I really don't know. I just see that things are just going to get worse. And uh, probably in the midterm, a general election in Spain. That's all I can say. Usually I'd be more detailed, but uh, things are really shaken up. So I really don't know. This show is brought to you by Navarra Media. To find articles, videos, and more audio content like this, head to navarramedia.com. If you really enjoyed this podcast and want others to hear it too, why not head on over to iTunes and subscribe? Leaving a review also really helps us out. Here at Navarra Media, we rely on our subscribers and supporters. If you have the means, please consider subscribing at support.navaramedia.com. In return, you'll receive priority access to events as well as promotions throughout the year. It's our way of saying thank you. For regular updates, follow us on Facebook, Twitter and YouTube. Navarra Media. Media for a different politics.